for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 429 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week I talked with the creative duo from Insymmetry Creations. They're the creators of Heirs of Isildur and Tales from Nocturnia. The books are described this way, where steampunk, comics, and metal collide, readjusting the gears of reality. We catch up with what they're up to these days, including some downtime right now, thanks to the coronavirus. We discuss the books, including issue two of Tales, which has just been published. We discuss how they're filling their time while they're not at conventions, which they do a lot of. And we talk about what the future will hold for both of them, as far as the follow-up to Airs and what else they have in mind for fans like us. So I'm sure you'll enjoy what they have to say. A word of warning, Skype adds a little bit of echo the further along we went during the interview. So you might notice that, especially as we get towards the end. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. It's great to welcome back to the podcast. Let's go ladies first this time. Steph Cannon and Matt Knowles from Insymmetry... Is that Productions? I... Creations. Creations, that's right. That's right. Okay, Steph, since you're first, why don't you go ahead and see how you're doing? Okay, well, I am Steph Cannon, and I am one half of Insymmetry Creations, like we were uh, just talking about. Uh, Matt and I are a uh, comic writing and creating duo. And we have a couple titles that we're going to be talking about today, but uh, we are doing our best to keep busy and keep work up on the titles. Um, I'm in California and Matt's in Florida, so we, you know, uh, are a bi-coastal writing duo at, at this time and uh, just been working hard on, on getting the titles out, but I'll let Matt talk about that. So you're grateful for the internet? Very. Yeah, if we did not have technology. With you right now, we would we would kind of be sunk a little bit. That's yeah, true. Now, okay, Matt, how about you? How are you doing? Well, I'm doing all right. My name is Matt Knowles. I, as Steph said, of the other the other half of Insymmetry Creations. I am in uh, Central Florida, and I'm doing all right. I mean, you know, we our business operates, you know, on the internet as it is. So all these people talking about, oh my gosh, I'm going to be stuck at home. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, that's our, basically our normal Monday through Friday anyways. Um, I mean, it has put a little bit of a, of a crimp in the style. I mean, I'm a soccer official, so that's, you know, really thrown my weekends when I'm not at conventions way off. Um, but Hey, we're just doing the best we can. You know, our mantra is, you know, either we make use of this time or we're going to fall behind the people that do. So we're just trying to make use of this time the best that we can. Great. Great. Now I have to say that I'm busier than I've ever been during this time because I tend to proofread when I'm not doing this stuff. And I've got all these people trying to get me to do stuff for them for proofreading and stuff. And I'm doing one I, every day. I have to proofread an article for this, this lady, which is great fun. I mean, I enjoy doing it, thankfully, but I'm, I'm just, I sit there and go, why can't you spell this word right? You know, all that kind of stuff hits me while I'm doing it. So I, that's what I'm doing when I'm not doing the, the podcast and other stuff. 
But, uh, so, okay, let's talk about what's going on with you guys. The last time I talked with you, I think it was about July of last year, and you were in the middle of a Kickstarter. Correct, correct. We were in the Kickstarter. We we were up through issue 10 of Heirs of a Sealdor's Crossroads Conundrum story arc, and we were doing the Kickstarter for issue 11. So since that time, we've released issue 11 and the 268-page trade paperback for it. And so we went back and did the trade paperback, and... um. So if someone with an astute eye, possibly like a Wayne Hall, would, you know, who has the first 10 issues, when they get the trade, they're going to see, hey, that 1 through 10 look a little bit different. Steph and I went back and took two months to re-letter and reformat the entirety of 1 through 10 so that that way someone who gets the trade paperback book would feel like they were seeing one contiguous story, not stuff that took place over two years. There were some changes in the writing style. There were some things that were a little too... um little bit too much exposition of the the original issues uh some art issues we tried to at least try to get some of the things where they were on point and the, the biggest thing was as the series went on we made sure that there was you know more traditional word bubbles and um, and text tied to characters which it was not that way in the original issues it was more of an illustrated novel so we made sure to go back to all the original issues and find ways to tie the dialogue back into the pictures which was a a, a really interesting exercise. And, and so, so even though I started writing this before Steph came on board with the, with the production, um, every single page in that 268 page trade has got Steph's stamp on it because she was there for every single word. Um, and we put, we both put the entire dialogue together for the trade paperback. Cause you know, what's funny was, was I, I liked it the way it was. I mean, I, I I like things that are different. I like the fact that not everybody uses word balloons, and sometimes there's boxes of stuff going on describing what's happening. And once I got into the pattern of it, I was fine with it. So when I came to that, I was like, that's different. Okay, so I, I had to go back and say, no, wait a second. What this is not, Now I can see the, the word balloons. Now, but one of the things you guys did that interested me was you didn't use the standard word balloons that comics use. You know, comics word balloons usually white with black text in it. But you guys were much more creative with it. When somebody spoke, depending on the person, there was usually there was like a, a dark color background with white lettering on it. Was there a reason why you guys chose that format? Um, well, I will say this: this this definitely is something where it comes from me here. Steph is the the traditional comic person, mm-hmm. and I am someone that comes from the music world and comes from doing graphic design for even if it was, you know, small underground labels doing, um, you know, sleeves for seven inches or CD cases or cassette cases, things like that. And with those, it's almost there. Most of the time it's dark background with white text Mm -hmm. and it feels a lot more artistic. And this is just my opinion on that. So I wanted to try and keep that vibe so that that way, um, it just felt more artistic to me. I don't like, to me, I don't like seeing pages that, especially with errors, there's so much text in there that if it was all white word bubbles, it would overtake the page and all you would see is this massive splash of white and you have to look through that white for the, for the, the, the um, for the art underneath it. That doesn't mean that I hate white word bubbles. It's just not something that appeals to me as much um, for these products, for this and for, and for Tales from Nocturnia, but it doesn't mean that in the future there won't be white word bubbles. It just matters matters 
what I'll be able to get away with and what stuff's going to let me get away with when it comes to the titles. We'll have to say, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I read a comic and I see this gray word balloon with just word, 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 and there's a little bitty head on the bottom saying all these words, and I'm like, oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Many times I just go past that, and I say, if something's important, they'll point it out later. I mean, what was your feeling about that, Steph? I mean, as far as, like, the, what was your input as far as, like, color choice and things like that? We kind of went back and forth, and when I say that, I in no means mean that in a negative way, but it was, you know, there was a cerebral discussion about how we were going to do it. Um, I have read comics. I'm a comic reader, so I'm used to the standard version that we see in, in comics, and um, when Matt started kind of playing around with, you know, the shapes and the colors and everything... I gave my input, but more of like an informational thing because I've been around comics and read comics a lot more than that had at that point. And we kind of, you know, the only time that I would point something out is I would say, well, you know, this is a gray, this is a word balloon with a, with gray in it against a gray background. And we want to make sure it stands out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was, there was definitely some, you know, kind of going, going back and forth to figure out the happy medium for that. And I feel like we really found it, really found it with this one. Well, the story just, it still sparkles, you know, doesn't doesn't matter to me whether I'm in the old quote unquote version or the new version of it. I like the both of them, but I've got to ask because some people, you know, and, and, and you can't help it especially if you're like an editor type person like I am and maybe like you are, Steph, you get the opportunity to make changes in something after you've done it. You look back at it and go, oh, if I just moved that this way. Did you you guys do much of that or did you have it pretty much locked in the way that you wanted it? Well, when it comes to the older issues, one of the things that was not that we would have had the original artist Blake Wilkie come back in to do any of the work when it came to the trade, but we didn't even have that option because Blake passed away during the production. And there was a lot of the earlier issues, three, four, five, that we had very limited art for. Blake didn't produce a lot of art for those issues. So we had to stretch and strain and figure out ways to be able to be creative and, and, find ways to get the art and the words and the text and the dialogue to all match up. So from my perspective, I feel like we did the best that we could. If, if we were to go back today and you were to say, Hey, you need to go back and you need to recreate the air's trade and you need to go recreate um, everything that's in those issues. There are a few things we've already talked about. We tweak, like if we were going to do some other media form for airs, like if we were going to try to make a pilot for it or something like that, or a, or some kind of script or, or, or a prose book, which we've talked about doing, we would probably go back and and reconfigure just a little bit at the beginning. Um, just because, you know, we've seen it now for a little bit. We've had time to be able to, to actually step away from it. This is the first time in, you know, in four years for me that I've been able to step back from errors and I don't have to worry about what's going on with the Crossroads Conundrum storyline. And it's the first time since Steph and I met that we're not actively working on that storyline for it. So we've been able to kind of step back from a little bit and then we take a look and we're like, yeah, you know what? We could have done this a little bit different. So that's my take. What about you, Steph? We're always evolving. And so I think it's good. I think if we were to look back on anything that we did and go, nope, it's perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. Then, you know, that's, we're probably not looking at it in the way that we should be. um, And that's okay. 
So I, I think I think you know we'll continue to evolve, and like Matt said, who knows? Maybe we will do something one day that'll have the very standard war balloons on it. Um, it just kind of it we we kind of let the story dictate that for us, as as funny as that sounds, but. Um, for Nocturnia, it felt right to do the, the the war balloons the way that we did them. And for Airs, it felt more steampunky to do them that way. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I see I see how Matt has grown as a letterer because he's the one that's doing the letter. I'm just, you know, giving input and we're looking at them together. But he's the one that's actually putting, you know, putting the balloons where they need to be on the page because I'm not technical <laughs> at all. But um, I, I think um, I, I think we're always evolving and growing. And, and I think, you know, I, I think Matt would say the same thing that, that, you know, he, he could look back objectively and go, yeah, I would, I would maybe tweak that a little bit and do it a little bit differently. Now, the one thing we haven't done is talk about what the book's about. Why don't yes. you, Matt, why don't you go ahead and talk with the, what heirs of a soldier is about? Uh, I can't wait to talk about this with you. Just, just I know, I know you're the way you look at these books. I love it. So heirs of a sealed door is a story about, a clock and watchmaker named Michael Asildor that lives in a puritanical village of Shadows Haven. Everyone in Shadows Haven, including Michael, wants to see time work exactly as it should. They want there to be no deviations. No one, everybody is in fear of any kind of deviation because they know that in, you know, in history, that's just not the way that it works in Shadows Haven. Michael one day ends up unintentionally opening up a time portal, and this time portal starts bringing people from other eras to him. And so the story is about Michael and these other individuals that are brought from the past and the present. And, you know, it could be, you know, you don't know if it's a multiverse. You don't know what that is. They, these people don't have any knowledge of, they don't have some God knowledge of, you know, oh, well, there's four consecutive timelines. And, you know, if we, we're pulling from this or we, we can go back to the, the past and change them in the future. They don't know any of that. All they know is we have been all pulled to this one place. Now, what are we going to do with it? There may be some greater power. There may not be. There may just be, hey, now we're all here. What are we going to do with it? The big rub for it is these people are clearly not all from that same time period. You have a girl with blue and purple hair, Merc, that comes in. You have a medieval king that comes in. Um, and Michael has to figure out how to integrate these people and hide them in the society without Shadows Haven's elite basically figuring out that there are some people that have, have come to this place from means that are you know, definitely not in making sure time works exactly as it should. I, I, as we talked last time, I really love the characters and they develop and there's, there's a lot of growth going on as they, they interact with each other. They, they bring out the best and sometimes the worst in each other, which is great fun to read. Uh, Michael, of course, is, is my favorite of the, of the characters in this book. And the, the one thing, though, that hit me when I was rereading it was the, the description of it being a puritanical steampunk village. Those two words don't go together in my mind, puritanical right. and steampunk. Usually, steampunk are usually uh, folks that are kind of open-minded to all different kinds of things. And to say that there's a puritanical steampunk village, I found that interesting. Did, yeah, what, I mean, it, it's... um. You know, we wanted it to be something where the the village doesn't have a problem with people wanting to create and wanting to make things big and grand. They just do not like people that want to disturb the the foundation of what the town is, so to speak. If you want to grow and you want to see things become better, that's fine. But but they definitely don't want anybody to challenge the norm. So like, you know, this is not what what um what 
Heirs of Isildur is about. But just as an example, if you have a village that is based on, say, Christian beliefs and somebody wants to come in with pagan beliefs, they're going to say, hey, look, you know, we have these Christian beliefs and you're not going to come in and you're not going to change the foundation of what our of what our, our village is with those pagan beliefs get out of here or vice versa. You could have, you know, somebody that's got, you know, we, we only want to eat from the, from the ground. We don't want to eat meat. And somebody else come in as a meat eater, you know, they're going to be like, Hey, we don't want you to disturb our foundation. That was kind of the way that we said, Hey, how can they be steampunk and have it also be puritanical as well? Hmm. It's so interesting because my impression of steampunk is that it's open-minded on all that stuff. And so that was one of the things that I found interesting was when there was this situation. I'm glad you explained that because that makes a lot, a lot more sense to me now than my perception of it. So I'm glad about that. Now, one of the things that we got to talk about is the fact that you guys dress up as your characters when you go on. A, and I'm often, like, we were at Crumb's World recently with you, Matt, and, and you were dressed up as, the, as, as Michael. And Steph, I know you were. When, I think the last time we were talking, you had not yet set on what you were going to do. And I was listening to a previous interview, and you were talking about the fact that some of the steampunk stuff got to be hard to wear for long periods of time. <laughs> and so you made some changes on that. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, we know that Matt is Michael, but what character did you become, and, and how did you make changes to make it, you know, livable during the day? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because I had never really cosplayed before at all. It just wasn't really anything. And really, I hadn't attended very many comic conventions before Matt and I paired up and started doing our own shows. Um, and, you know, I, I knew right off the bat that he dresses in full steampunk. And uh, when when I went to our very first show together, which was a steampunk show, um, I knew it's going to look silly if he is dressed, you know, completely and I'm not. But it was definitely out of my comfort zone a little bit but in the beginning it was like okay you know um most people that that dress in steampunk there's a very certain aesthetic to it and the women are normally in these big uh dresses with these corsets and and so that was the direction i went but it's just not very conducive when you're behind a table trying to get merch and move around and talk to people um our friends that cosplay steampunk are typically um not behind a booth selling merch or if they are their 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 mobility is is not needed as much so so it's kind of again evolved um i that word is coming up a lot tonight actually but again it's evolved a little bit to where it was like okay um i'm not used to florida humidity and so my comfort level with being on my feet for eight hours a day at a show in florida humidity kind of needed there to be something that has a little bit more uh comfort but still looking professional and now i see it as we're just dressed up really nice you know <laughs> that's the great thing about steampunk is we could technically go out to eat and not get very many heads that would turn and just be oh there's two people dressed nicely you know um mm -hmm. and and that's that's what i prefer where it looks more we, we're just kind of professionals dressed up versus hey we're in costume and um you know, we want we want people to know that we're when they see us that we're we're writers, we're not uh, cosplayers that are just there with the booth, you know, for photo ops or whatever. So you didn't take on the persona of a character that's already in the book. No, yeah, yeah, no, no uh, character per se in the book. Um, although we have talked about the possibility of me doing that with with some of the female characters later on. One of the fun things is is that Matt's daughter, who's fourteen will come and help us at the booth sometime. And she's sort of adopted one of the characters in the book. 
mm-hmm. and and has has played that up both in how she dresses and how she acts, which is a lot of fun. I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Now it, the book now now you can get the whole story basically. I had only read up to chapter ten in that point, and now that I've read eleven, I'm I'm really interested. You you. Let's just say that you leave us wanting more when you get to the end of 11, which I really liked. And now that you've got another book, and we're going to get to that in just a minute, what is the future for Heirs of Isildur, Matt? I mean, have you got – I know you've got to have story in mind for these, these, these vibrant characters and places for them to go. And, and, and based on how number 11 went, we've got to have more of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So – um. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up 11. So one of the things in uh, in 11 that you know I was really really anticipating hearing what you thought about it without without putting forth any spoilers because there's not a lot you can say about 11 without there being spoilers. We tried to answer some questions, mm-hmm. um, but we also wanted to treat it like a a TV show series. You get to the end of the season and certain things get wrapped up, but there's more questions that are asked than than questions that are answered, and we are definitely working on the sequel. The sequel is going to be called the perilous prospects. Mm-hmm. Um, we, when I say we, we both are actually working on it. So for um, the crossroads conundrum, the entire story issues one through 11 was written as an ebook before I even started doing the comics. Mm-hmm. So when Steph came on board and when Steph started involving herself in the ways that she does, we already had the template there and she was, I would put the issue together and then share her with her what the script was for the issue, and then we kind of go from there. For the Perilous Prospects, I've been taking notes on where the Perilous Prospects is going to go for literally for years. It's been two and a half years or so that I've got notes of where I wanted to go in the Perilous Prospects and beyond. And um, we decided this time, and it was it was more so me deciding because I wanted to make sure that Steph still had the opportunity to to be a fan if she wanted to be a fan or be in the know and be, be behind the fourth wall entirely. Um, she said, Hey, whatever you want to do, if you want me to stay as a fan, that's fine. If you want me to be behind the fourth wall and be a part of the team, you know, I'd be fine with either way. And I want, I don't want to be having to create this whole thing off on this side with she and I having the production company. Now I want her to be as involved in the creation process as I am. So you know, I had shared little bits with her of where the perilous prospects where I want to go with it. And then one day I was like, here, I'm going to open the entire folder up. Here's every single thing about it. Here's every single note. Um, and we are slowly piecing it together because there are so many different ways that it can go. We know where we want it to end up. There's probably about three or four different things, just like Airs 11. There's three or four or five different pieces that end that story. We know where we want those three or four or five different pieces to end the perilous prospects. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to figure out which is going to be the best ways to get there and not get there in 11 issues. It's going to be a much shorter, much more concise um, story to get to that point. We can't wait to actually get something to blow people's pants off because it's, uh, it, it's going to be really fun. I got to ask you Steph, cause you and I talked the last time that we were talking about the fact that, cause when I do, I'm the editor of Stabity Bunny. I don't know a lot of the stuff that's going. And so he gets my reaction. Richard Rivera does when I start to read the script, I can give him input as to how I think things are moving. Is that a good surprise? I mean, did he do it right? Is that the, the, the best way to go? And so I've been able to give that thing. Now you're involved in the process. How's that for I you? I am, mean, that, and that it's, change. 
Yeah, I I love it. You know, I love both. It, it's it's cool to say that I've been able to do both, and I think that it can only work when you have two people that work as well together as Matt and I do, um, because I'm so involved in the story and I knew so much about it. Um, even, even though as, as I was editing it and the, the issues were coming out, I was finding things out as I went along. Mm -hmm. Um, I still knew we would talk, you know, for hours about just the theories and the ideas and, and his thoughts, you know, that he put into it when he was writing it. So, I feel like I know it as well as he does, just, you know, on a different level. So um, it's been, I, I really like it actually, because there's, and there's a mutual respect there too. You know, it's, you, you've got to be careful when you are, are diving into diving head first, instead of dipping your toe into the world of somebody's IP. Um, you, you know, you want to make sure that you are understanding everything correctly and not overstepping your bounds. But with Matt and I, there's not really that, that concern. Uh, just because we, we, we have our system down how we co-write. So it's fun. I, I really like it. I like being able to offer input. And it's not necessarily too different because he was really receptive to listening to anything that I might have suggested, you know, as the story was going along. Of course, if it was too far off from what his original idea was, then, you know, he'd have to kind of steer it away from that. But, um, yeah, this is, this, is, this is enjoyable for sure. See, I'm only could be jealous of that i can't make that uh, from i can tell you when something doesn't work but what makes it work i can't tell you that that's the leap i can't make so i, I you guys I, I can only be jealous of how you guys can do that you know i can tell you this doesn't work but what should i do uh, I, I don't know so you guys i, I i'm really just I, i'm glad you guys this is what makes you guys writers and me a reviewer <laughs> well, I can, and i'll tell you one, one of the things that's really neat too is that we've kind of got our vibe and we've figured out how we write and basically every story that we write kind of now works in the same fashion where we will get all of our ideas down on a sheet then we'll take those ideas we turn them and we call beats we take our beats and we get our beats together then we say okay where are these beats going to fit as far as page count goes within the story and then from there once the beats are laid in then we say okay well these four or five beats here should take up two pages now let's go in and write the script. And it's an ever-evolving thing. So we still get to have some of that that surprise of, oh, crap, I figured out how we can connect these puzzle pieces and and see how we can get from point A to point Q. And so we still get some of those, those little pieces in there, whether it's a story that I'm in the driver's seat on or a story that Steph's in the driver's seat on. And it actually makes it kind of fun because – you automatically have somebody right there that's going to be able to tell you, yeah, the story is actually the way it needs to be. We're not going too far off the side. This is not getting too derivative or too, too expositional. We actually are right in the right in the spot we need to be in for this thing to actually have the punch that it needs. And, and it's been, it's been good. It's been good because I definitely do not have the desire or the, the willingness to, to write for years and then start sharing it with somebody else. I want to be able to share and get that, initial reaction from you know from someone right then which has helped me out tremendously so you have figured out how you're going to start up the second book without spoiling what happens in the 11th book you know how you're going to pick up after that absolutely the that that was actually kind of funny you you say that because i read the first scene of the perilous prospects to steph 
what do you think, Steph? Was it about eight months ago? Nine months ago? Yeah, before we about right. Yeah, yeah it was a while ago because I've had that first scene written for a long time because it was one of those scenes that the big questions that people will want answered from Airs 11 in absolutely no way get answered in the first scene. Hmm. And mm-hmm. you get other, you get other questions answered and you get other things that open up. Like as I was reading it to Steph, she's like, don't you even, don't you even tell me that's, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like it totally <laughs> off on a complete sideways note, but exactly what I was hoping for is exactly where she, what her reaction was. Um, there are a lot, Hey, there are a lot of questions that are, you know, people want to know from the end of Airs 11, a lot of the things that happened in the last few pages that people are like, what's the purpose of this? What about this? What's the fate of certain characters? Mm-hmm. Those things will get answered, but they will probably get answered in ways that people are not going to be expecting. Okay. Two questions I got, but then we'll move on to the other book. Um, Steph, is your character going to start to appear in the second volume? The person you dress up as? Uh, well, we, you know, actually there could be, a, there, there's, I will say this, I will say that there is more possibility for uh, a character to appear in this book because, and I, I don't think this is a spoiler at all, hopefully not, that there will be some new characters in the, in this story. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely think there's some, some potential there for that. Cool. Cause see, I asked that because as the editor for Stabity Bunny, I have never appeared in the book. And people always say, oh, when are you going to be in the book? <laughs> well, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I, I haven't. <laughs> so I'm just not sure. So I, I, it, sometimes it's fun to be written in. But I, I always tell the story uh, that, that James Hake did. He had a friend that wanted to be written into his book, Solar Flare. And he's, oh, boy. And he says, I'm going to be in such, such an issue. What he didn't know was that James was going to kill him by the end of the issue. And he goes to the oh, end no. of the book, you killed me. <laughs> So I don't know. Sometimes I don't want to be in there because I don't want to meet a horrible fate, you know. Some people see that as a badge of honor. We, the, some of the people that we've had drawn into uh, Tales from Nocturnia, they specifically requested that they die. <laughs> so <laughs> they're like a death scene, they're like actors. Yes. Yeah, it's like a bit, you know, it's like a cool thing to say. I was in a comic book and I died. <laughs> <laughs> Which leads me to the question. I mean, timeline. Do you have an idea when this is going to uh, hit the road? So I would say if if you took all things considered and there was no coronavirus happening right now, um, we would we will launch the Kickstarter for Tales from Nocturnia 3 first. Then after that, we will launch a Kickstarter for Heirs of a Seal to the Perilous Prospects, some 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 portion of it. Um, when those things actually happen is you know, up for discussion, just like everything in life is right now, who the heck knows what the timeline for anything is. Mm-hmm. But that's our basic thought right now is we would probably go into Tales from Arcturnia 3 first and then go into Airs, even though we just finished the Tales from Arcturnia 2, the original, the, the second Kickstarter in October, November, we just um, sent all the issues out for Nocturnia 2 a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we still probably think we're going to go to Nocturnia 3 first and then go to starting the new, the, the new sequel for Airs at that point. Okay, See, now that's a perfect lead into where I wanted to go. I appreciate that, Matt. Uh, we're going to talk about the other book that's set in the in this universe, and that's the, the. Why don't you talk about this other book? And maybe I don't know, Steph, who's the one that takes the lead on this one as opposed to Ayers? The, the, the Steph, are you the person with that, or is that Matt still? How's that work? We we say it's Matt. 
but it, it is definitely 50-50 co-written um, right straight from the beginning. So this is, you know, different than Airs, which Matt had kind of already had the story written uh, by the time I came in. So it, it's definitely 50-50, but we still like to say that you know, there is one person. It just makes things a little bit easier during co-writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can talk a little bit about it and then maybe uh, set, let Matt kind of segue into it. Um, this is a a spinoff, for those who don't know, it's a spinoff from Airs with Sildor. It's... Um, I don't know how much we want to say, but I will say that it's 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 spun off from a character that appears in Heirs with Sildor, but it is a medieval fantasy. It is about uh, an executioner who uh, appears very, very briefly in Heirs, and he is... Um, He's in this kingdom of Nocturnia, and that's kind of the tagline for it is this kingdom in shambles. And um, they have lost their their king, they've lost their queen, and uh, the king's right-hand man. So they've essentially lost all of their rulers. And there is now this this kind of uh, discord over who is going to take over. And it's not like Game of Thrones— there's not a, a huge battle for the throne, but there is this question of who is going to lead us, who's going to be in charge. And there is, um, and there is a, an imminent threat coming from a neighboring place that is, um, you know, that's the, that's our, our bad guys essentially. So I'll, I'll let Matt kind of take over from there. All right. So like Steph was saying, uh, the, with the executioner, the difference between Tales from Nocturnia and Heirs of a Sealdor is that in Tales from Nocturnia, um, well, in Heirs of a Sealdor, we see the one character, we see the king gets pulled through, and um, he is now a part of the Heirs of a Sealdor storyline. And what we did for Tales from Nocturnia, we said, well, what's going on in that kingdom? Like she said, this kingdom, they don't know what portals are. They don't know what that is. That does not exist in this kingdom. All they know is their king, after the execution of his best friend and after the queen jumps to her death, rides off into the forest and disappears. Like, like disappears, they just don't know where he went. They don't, they don't see him disappear. They just know he's never to be seen again. So they are left in the lurch. They don't know who the leader is. Um, so we follow this um, executioner. His name is Beninok. And the very first question, and uh, the very first scene we see in, in Nocturnia 1, um, Beninok is called into a meeting and all the other dignitaries and lead warriors and, and clergy are there. And they have, we have this big question. We got to figure this thing out. And Beninok thinks he's been brought into this meeting to help them figure out who's going to lead. And they all start laughing at him because he brings up an idea. Like they're like executioner. We don't need you here to figure out, you know, do you think we're here for your brain? No, you're, you are our person for slashing and killing, killing and slashing. You tell us what we need to do with, with, the bodies, the king is not here and the queen just dumped to her death. And other people are like, well, did she get pushed? You know, what do we do with her body right now? All we want to know is, um, you know, you're, you're only good for burying people. You figure this out. And so that's why he's brought in there and pretty much it, you know, embarrasses him in front of all the, the heads of the, of the kingdom. And we get to see his growth and his, um, his development over the course of these two issues that we have out so far. Um, that doesn't mean that Beninok is the only character that's definitely an ensemble cast all the way through. Issue two is insanely ensemble because we had so many people we had to draw in, but um, they're all were drawn into a point. There are some people that are in issue one that are purposely there so that we could kill them off. You know, you have to have deaths in medieval, in medieval kingdoms. And 
we wanted to make sure that those deaths actually had impact. They actually were a part of the story. Um, and Wayne, before we got on this podcast, you said you're not normally into, you know, a lot of blood and a lot of things like that. We normally don't write a lot of blood into our issues either. Um, definitely was a stretch when we got to issue two and the silliness we had to go for a lot of those kind of things. But um, we hope you enjoy the, uh, the, the ridiculousness that's there. And there's a point for it to all be the way that it is. And you'll see why that is when we get to issue three. Well, I really enjoyed the second issue. I read the first issue, and of course, I read the, getting into the second one. The thing I really liked was the realism of it. You know, a lot of the times I see these medieval things, and everybody's all noble, and everybody's all doing, you know, they're, they're, there's not a lot of human things going on. Everybody's kind of above the fray, and, you know, they're really, there's a lot of humanity going on in this story, which I really loved. And one of the funniest parts of the whole second issue has to do with the shapeshifter. Who just killed me? I mean, I I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I was laughing. Yeah, was... <laughs> I was laughing I was... out loud. He, he's it, he. Well, you know, I don't know how much to spoil on this, but he, <laughs> he shows up as a raccoon. He's seen in the first issue, and he shows up as a raccoon. Nobody thinks he's a raccoon in the second book. That's the funny bit. The little girl yells out, "Look at the cute little bunny over there!" <laughs> and, the, and the raccoon goes, "Oh, I can't. I don't use that word." But, yeah. Oh crap! He says, "Oh, I got out of here." And then, of course, he doesn't get too far, and he tries to maintain his shape, but there's even more than he can handle happens to him. And I just laughed with this whole thing. I thought, in this really serious circumstance, there's this humor going on. That is so great, you know, and of course, he doesn't necessarily live up to what he's been assigned to do, which is also funny. When he has to go and report in, <laughs> I found that whole sequence hilarious. I was laughing, you know, the Queen's asking very pointed questions, and he's, uh, uh, well, uh, and I was just laughing. I thought that was a wonderful bit because, you know, I, this is something that uh, this era never seems to be to me is 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 that balance that, that we go through in real life, we don't live all serious all the time. We enjoy humor now and then. And to see the humor brought into this situation, I found really enjoyable. I just, I thought it was wonderful how, you know, even in conversations, they would ask somebody and somebody would give like a long speech and they would get to the end and the end was not what you thought it was going to be. <laughs> Which I, I love that kind of writing. I, I love when I love to be led along and to think something's going to happen and it doesn't go that way. And that's just, that the the writing is really witty in this book is the work that I I would describe it because you know let's yes this is bad things happen to good and bad people, but it's such an enjoyable read that you know. So, uh, you know, you've got to have that in this kind of thing. You shouldn't have only bad guys getting it. So that's what happens in here. Everybody suffers some loss here and there. But the the way that's done is it's it's funny. You've got blue monsters going around and, and, and all kinds <laughs> of things happening. But there's a human feeling to it. You know, and another thing I always li that I really liked about it was the fact that, <laughs> you know, not everybody is forthright, shall we say. Somebody gives their word for something, and do they keep their word? Well, not necessarily. I mean, you know, this is, you're talking to a warrior here, and a warrior doesn't necessarily live up to their word because they, they want to win, and that's, that's the purpose. So there's a lot of interesting things going on in this story. I thought when the king was, was not there, it was going to be, you know, everything centers around the king normally in these stories as well. But to have the, 
everybody else but the king really getting involved, we got to see the humanity of it. And we really got to enjoy it. So I just, I, I thought this was a great book. I thought this was such a fun issue to read. And now I got to see what, what you're going to do with three to wrap all this stuff up. That's going to be great. <laughs> Well, I really, really appreciate the fact that yeah. you uh, you had this kind of reaction to it. That's exactly what we were hoping for. And like you said about the humor, there was a couple of things in there. I'll even tell you something that was, um, you know, I'll give you a little behind the scenes here. There was actually a little bit more of people not calling him a raccoon in the issue. And Steph was like, dude, there's I can understand the little girl saying that, but she's like full grown intelligent adults know what a raccoon is. They cannot be calling him something else. And so we actually had to change the script because she was right. She was like, it wouldn't have made any sense. It would have been too campy to have a full grown adult be like, you know, one of the intelligent people in the kingdom being like, what is this? I've never seen this thing before. So we changed it to make sure that they were reporting on it correctly. But you hit the nail on the head about the humor because it is, there are a lot of, there's a lot of sad things that happen in the issues. There's a lot of, dark things that happen there and if everything is just dark and there's not even there's no escape there's no pulling on the the humorous side then you don't have any hope that there's going to be anything good that's going to happen you're just like how dark is this going to get is there ever going to be anything fulfilling in here other than dark 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 and so we wanted to make sure that that the things that were humor truly did shine out and so for you to pick up on that we're really 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 glad that you say that so funny, and I, I, I was, I wanted to say that the subtitle should be "Heads Will Roll." <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say Darn that, it, that would have been great. If, if you so, read the book, <laughs> one, of the, one, of, one of the things about that, which uh, you know, we have six different covers for the issue. One of which is by Thomas Tenney, who does stuff for Marvel and does stuff for a creep show on the Shutter Network. The cover he did is called "The Inferians." And Inferians are based after the band Inferi. They are an incredible technical metal band on the, the Artisan Era record label. And um, we went to see them in concert a year ago in May, so about 11 months ago. And just hanging out with the guys, really good guys, you know, really, really fun guys. And um, we were just talking about Heirs of a Seal Door. And, and the bass player and the vocalist, uh, Steph and I were talking with them. And one of them, I don't remember if it was the bassist, Andrew, or the vocalist, Stevie, were like, Oh man, it'd be so cool to get killed off in a, in a comic book. Just like literally that was the introduction. Oh, it'd be so cool to get killed off in a comic. That'd be really cool. And we kind of list stuff and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, well, you know, we do have this, we're thinking to ourselves, we do have this scene in, uh, in, in Tales from Nocturnia. And we do have this whole gap, this, this group, we needed a group to come in. And that idea kind of marinated and kind of came in and we're like, well, you know, we have these guys need to get killed off. And, um, you know, we had brought the idea up to the band and they all thought it was great. And our original plan was, and this isn't, this isn't a spoiler. This is just kind of humorous. The original plan was that we were going to have some of the members die and not all of them. And the main guy in the band, Malcolm, um, during one of our production meetings, or pre-production meetings, he's like, you know what? He's like, I don't like the thought of my guys living and me running off. He's like, that makes me, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a joke. He's like, if my brothers are going to die. I've got to die. And so we're like, okay. So, so the next time we launched our Kickstarter on October 28th, on October 20, October 29th, excuse me, we they had a show in Orlando at the same venue on October 28th. So we specifically launched it the day after, so that so we could have one more meeting. Even though stuff wasn't there, we had had a production meeting beforehand, and so I went there face to face with each member, and I talked to them one by one. Here's what your role is going to be in the issue. 
here, you know, you're going to get this. Here's how you're going to die. The way you're going to die. Everybody loved the way they were going to die. And, and there's probably one small piece of humor you may have picked up on. You may not have picked up on. And specifically because we don't know when we're going to have another show again, mm-hmm. you know, I have no problem with kind of giving up this little humorous piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the members of the band is well known for having this enormous, like, like gravity defying beard. Mm. And it's like a joke about his power comes from his beard. And I'm not sure if you picked up, there's, there's one of the characters that dies later on in the issue and he dies by getting turned to dust. Mm. And the last thing that's left in the air is his beard. We tried to, we, we tried to do that like Bugs Bunny. We're like, we'll add some here and here like Bugs Bunny. His entire body gets blown away, but his beard is the very last thing that survives. Yeah, it's still floating in the air. And then yep. suddenly poof, down it goes. <laughs> that's great. Because that, I, I have to say, too, the art really shines in, in this series as well. I really like the artwork. You know, some artwork I, I, I don't get, but I love the way that this artwork is, is really well done and really strong. You know, facial expressions are one thing I always judge, and I really, you get to understand what the characters are thinking by the facial expressions. And the action was also is the other thing that I look, and I really enjoyed the action sequences. So I think this is a really strong issue uh, as far as the art goes, too. I really liked it. Yeah, we're, we, we, I mean, we feel like it's probably the best art that we have had thus far. And we brought in some extra hands this time. We have, um, Jesse Hansen with uh, Cornerstone Creative Studios. Is that right, Matt? Yep. I want to make sure I'm saying it right. Uh, he uh, came in as an anchor. And, of course, we have Javi Lapara, who, you know, was our penciler for uh, issue one. And, you know, the from issue six on for airs. So Javi was doing the penciling. And we had Jesse doing the inking. And then we had um, actually an additional colorist come in to help out because, you know, it's a... 40 page issue. It's a lot of work <laughs> for one, mm-hmm. one artist. So we had additional hands to, to, to make it happen. Um, Brian Arful. Is that correct, Matt? Am I saying? Brian Arful. Brian Arful. So he came in and, uh, helped Javi out with coloring as well. So he and Javi both colored. Um, but the, the nice thing about Jesse being the inker was he, he had this way of kind of looking at, Javi's pencils and refining it and doing it, just kind of adding his own touch that really, really worked really well for this issue. Mm-hmm. Really great. Now, I've got number three, and of course, everything being up in the air right now, you probably can't say as to when that is, but you probably got in your heads maybe even a script as to where you want to go from here. So I'm looking forward to number three. I can't wait for that to hit. One of the things we can say about issue three is that, um, you know, we issue two being 40 pages issue two we felt like it could not be any shorter than 40 pages we were glad when we hit our stretch goal on the kickstarter because the originally it was supposed to be 36 and we're like we can't do it in 36 we would have had to abridge certain scenes i mean hey we had 11 different people that had to get drawn in one of which being you know richard Rivera as joss fard voice of the helpless you know somebody who you might know uh mm-hmm. <laughs> we had these 11 11 people that we gave them all roles as steph and i are putting together issue three and as we're going through this is a little different of an issue three than say issue 11 of airs for issue three of nocturnia we truly are going to be wrapping it up we're going to obviously leave some room if there was growth and we needed we wanted to continue on with the kingdom of nocturnia we could do that but we truly want to wrap up what this arc is to have people feel like it's a satisfying conclusion and it's it's a very very good possibility that issue that uh 
that issue three is going to be longer than 40 pages because of all the things we need to wrap up and all the different, the different pieces that need to come to play so they don't feel like they've been rushed just to get to an end. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. I mean, it's, if you can do that, and that's one of the great things about being a, you know, an indie comic like you guys are, you can do what you want. You don't have to sit there and say, well, you've got to do a certain number of pages. And then, then of course, we, we get a little cheated because all that good story that you were going to do didn't come up. You know? So I, wouldn't, I, I like it the way it is. I'm glad you guys are doing it the way that you are, which leads to the question, how do people get a hold of these good things? Uh, your website, is that the best place to go? Uh, the best place to go is if you go to tinyearl.com forward slash insimshop, I-N-S-Y-M-S-H-O-P. That's got all of our um, all of our issues, all of our uh, the trade paperback, the graphic novel. It's got our shirts. It's got our trading cards. One of the things that we do for each of our series is we do trading cards, and we try to make them more than just throw away, you know, here's a picture that you're never going to use. We tried to make them where they give a little bit of insight into the characters, um, there's actually a couple of secondary characters that are in issue two that we made sure that their storyline carried out over onto the cards. So if you have the trading cards, you read their little bios on the cards, you see them in the issue and it makes the, what the interaction between them and the issue have a little more, a little more power, a little more up when, when their, when their storyline kind of unfolds. Um, we've got all those things. We also have our metal album that's up there. Heirs of a sealed or the crossroads conundrum um, has a 12 track metal album. And um, that album is up, actually up there as well. And that's the other thing we're actually working on right now. We're working on Heirs of a Sealed Order, The Perilous Prospects, Tales from Nocturnia number three, and the trade paperback for Tales from Nocturnia. And we're also working on the next metal album um, that's going to go along with our products as well. And so that's going to be, that's a fun thing, having these three different products happening all at the same time. That's really cool. Now, as far as the music goes, because you are a musician, or you still are a musician, but you you don't do it quite as much as you used to because of this. I mean, is it great to assimilate that into making comics? I, I think it's I think it's amazing, and especially with where this album is going right now, um, can't really you know give it away. But Steph and I have talked about uh, some ideas with where this album is going to go because with Crossroads Conundrum, all the songs were. Um, they were origin stories or additional interactions. So if you looked at um, the trade paperback, it's like, Hey, if you want to know more about this character, Shiver, go listen to the song Shiver. You can hear more of his backstory. We didn't want to do exactly the same thing and have it be just a carbon copy this time coming up. And um, Steph and I have put, you know, put our heads together and we've come up with a pretty cool concept. And if we can pull it off, um, we think it's actually going to be really, really cool and something that's going to be really fun to do. And that's about all I can say right now, because if I say anything more than that, don't you think, Steph, if I say anything more than that, we're pretty much going to give away what the whole concept of the album is? Yeah, yeah, I think I think you've given <laughs> a good little tidbit there. And um, but but I agree, it's it's a it's a fun concept and I think people are going to really enjoy it. That's cool. Now, Chris, keeping up with you guys, Steph, what we got, we're talking to you. How do people follow you on social media? Um, well, we have our social media for Insymmetry Creations and um, you, you can find me, Matt and I individually are on Facebook as well. Um, I'm going to let Matt, Matt does a much better job of rolling out the <laughs> the social media because we have so much of them. I want to make sure that they all get correct. So uh, Matt, why don't you tell them where they can find us? Well, uh, I can show all of our social media. The best place to find us is on Facebook at Insym, I-N-S-Y-M. 
Um, you've also got the InSymmetryCreations.com website and then our web store, which we previously mentioned. You can get to all of our other social medias and all of our links from there. But if you want to go directly to to read upon Heirs of the Sealer, you can look us up on any social media as Heirs of the Sealer on Facebook, um, Twitter, on Instagram, and on YouTube. If you, if you search for Heirs of the Sealer on YouTube, there is an Heirs of the Sealer YouTube channel that has all of our music videos and some more other promotional videos up there as well. Um, Tales from Nocturnia has, uh, you can go to Tales from Nocturnia on Facebook or TF Nocturnia on Twitter. And then also stuff that you give them your personal S Canon comics on Twitter. And then I'm D- Dr. Anguish, DR Anguish on Twitter as well. Okay, very good. Are, are there other projects you guys have in mind or is this keeping you guys all busy right now? Any other things going on, Steph? Um, we have, it's funny, we have a spreadsheet that has, I don't know, was it what, 26 different ideas of stories that we eventually yeah. want to get to? Um, we, we, do, we do have a couple of other things that we definitely want to work on. Um, we're kind of being wanting to wrap up Nocturnia and then, you know, jump in and get airs going again for the people that are really wanting, dying to know what happens are definitely our priorities. But we for sure have other uh, writing projects that we are going to be working on very soon, hopefully. Yeah, and I can say too, just like just like with everybody else, the the way that um, the world has been impacted by what our current situation is has um, changed up what our current priorities are in unexpected ways. Uh, we have a lot like we would probably not be working on the album as much as we're working on it right now. We probably would be working on some other writing projects um, if it was normal. Hey, we got our shows coming up, and we have all these different things happening. So some of the titles that we we've, we've talked about in at previous times you know, maybe on the back burner a little bit just because of some other things that are out of our control and some other new projects that maybe have never, you know, been talked about, you know, in public may see, you know, may, may rise to the top. You never know. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to that. I think you guys are doing such great stuff and I'm looking forward to things going on. I'll, I'll be glad when we can see you guys on the road again. I think that's going to be fun to get back to conventions. Us too. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's always a blast being able to be at a table beside you guys. We all work really well together and, uh, you know, it's just always, always, always fun. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but it's a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. And that's it for this episode. Be back next time. I'll have another great interview with an excellent comics creator, something I'm sure you won't want to miss. But until then, keep reading your comics.